My name is Deborah Holyfield. I'm the Executive Director of Presbyterians Protecting Life. Uh, if you used to be PCUSA, you knew them as uh, Presbyterians Pro-Life, PPL. Um, they got their start 40 years ago uh, in the PCUSA. They were the group that resourced and uh, gave advice and information to commissioners who were being asked to vote on things that they were not equipped to vote on uh, 40 years ago. And we had hospitality suites, and they would come in and, and um, get at their questions answered, get the resources they needed to testify or to write overtures or to vote. Uh, we had luncheons where we brought in speakers. We had uh, Charles Colson. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, we had Charles Colson come. We had uh, Bernard uh, Nathanson, who was the doctor abortionist who made up all the numbers to deceive the Supreme Court in Roe versus Wade. Uh, we had Mother Teresa of Calcutta come. Uh, you can't do much better than that on pro-life, but we did not make the headway that we hoped for. We made some headway, um, but not what we hoped for. And as you know, the PCUSA fractured uh, over the last decade and a half, two decades. I don't know if this church used to be uh, a PCUSA church, but nevertheless, uh, EPC has been around long enough now that the memory of that, that is fading. I think some churches still have PTSD from it, and that's one of the issues that PPL has had is uh, I think churches who leave with PTSD and they say, you know, we left this behind, we are not interested in going there again. So we're sensitive to that, and we are not that organization anymore at all. Not Well, I say we're not that organization anymore. We have changed insofar as we uh, serve all Presbyterian and Reformed denominations now. Uh, so that would include not only the EPC and the ECO and the ARP and the RPCNA and the PCA and the PCUSA and I think I go to a PCA church these days. Anyway, <laughs> but it's Presbyterians are pe peculiar, right? And um, weren't just not real happy in other structures, I suppose. So we tend to cross denominational lines. Um, let me say a short prayer before I start. I have a lot of information and I need to get what you need out um, because I don't know what that is. I've got a big stockpile of stuff I could tell you, but not that kind of time. Let's go to God. Lord, we come to you today eager to make a difference in the lives of men and women and children, families, uh, the unborn. Uh, we ask that you would make stick what needs to stick help me to say the things that people need to hear and in their own context that they can take and they can use um, help us to be the hands and feet uh, of your gospel and and bring the uh, borders of the kingdom widen the borders of the kingdom with with more people who need to know you um, be with us today uh, as i said make stick what needs to stick and bring your words out of my mouth and not my own I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so that's who we are. This is a picture. I love this picture. <laughs> this is my life right there. I, sometimes I'm the bear. Sometimes I'm the horse. Sometimes I'm the guy with the gun. But uh, I have this picture on my office wall. I can't remember the title of it. But it's kind of a perfect image of what a pastor has to face when he's got a hot button issue like abortion. Uh, or really any life issue, but when you say you're pro-life, that's the first thing people think of is abortion. So there's no way around the problem, right? You have to meet the problem. Sometimes you walk into it unsuspecting, sometimes the problem comes looking for you. Um, 
the bear's got cubs behind her. So she's real aggressive. The problem can be aggressive. You have to be aggressive if you want to survive this. Um, you don't want to wound the babies. So there's the thought about, you know, do you really want to, you know, take care of mama bear knowing that you're going to have two baby bears that need um, somebody to take care of them too. And then there's the pack horse, which I think maybe in this case is the congregation because it's going to react either to the bear or to the gunshot and it might even drag you over the cliff. So I kind of think that sums up what dealing with pro-life and other hot button issues are in the church. The mission of, of PPL is that we're compelled by the gospel. Uh, it's the gospel that um, energizes and enables and motivates us uh, to do what we do. Um, it's a little frustrating, I think, sometimes when I exhibit at General Assemblies, people come by and, you know, they'll tap the table or, you know, punch you in the arm and say, we really appreciate what you do and the work that you do and all the babies you're saving. And, and we don't save babies. We equip churches to save babies. We equip Christians to have those conversations and churches to do that work. Um, Presbyterians, we are very narrow in our focus. As I said, Presbyterians are peculiar anyway. Um, and so we're talking to our own tribe and we know what matters to us. Um, i go back to that for just a second, a little anecdote. When my son was like 12, I guess, uh, we didn't have enough kids in our Presbyterian church to have a youth group. And so I let him go to the Baptist church with uh, his friends. And what I, how I would navigate that is, you know, what are you going to talk about this Wednesday night? And he would say, whatever. And then he'd come home and I'd say, what did the minister tell you? And, you know, and I'd give, sort of give him the reformed worldview of whatever that was. And one time he came home, he said, next week we're talking about abortion. Said, okay, you know, so I'm ready. And, and he comes home and I said, what did the pastor tell you? And he said, the Bible says we can't do it. Okay. <laughs> you know, maybe that's enough for a 12-year-old. Not today it's not enough for a 12-year-old. Um, as true as that is, um, that doesn't get you very far down the road in a conversation. It doesn't get you very far down the road in, the wor in your work. And it doesn't get you, it doesn't make you any friends. Um, because there's a lot of nuance, there's a lot that goes into uh, why people choose that um, as a solution to their, what they perceive to be a problem. Championing human life at every stage. Uh, we believe that what God says about life at any stage on the developmental spectrum from fertilization to natural death is true at every point on the spectrum. So whatever you can say, God views children with Down syndrome, special needs, um, you can apply that to your great Aunt Alice who's 95 years old and has dementia. You can apply that to adoption. You can talk about it in the cases of surrogacy, embryo donation, embryo adoption. So if your congregation is not comfortable talking about abortion, when you're talking about pro-life, um, you can enter the conversation really at any of those points, whatever your context is. Sometimes I'll have um, people again come by the table, it'll be a nice old lady and she'll say, oh we just are a church of older people and we don't have any young women in our church so you know it's just kind of not our issue but you know we appreciate what you do. One thing that there a lot of people aren't aware of and especially younger male pastors are not aware that women over 60 are the ones who are most in need of abortion recovery ministries. Uh, the reason for that is they were all 20 years old 50 years ago, and, or 40 years ago, and when this all you know, started to go down. And they were the first ones to be lied to about it's just a clump of cells. 
uh, it doesn't make any difference. Um, God, it's not a person, it's not a human being. What difference does it make? It's like having the skin tag taken off. Um, but now they're 60, they're 70 years old. They've seen, had their own kids. They didn't die. Um, got their kids raised, probably love their kids, love their grandchildren, I promise you. And they've seen all those sonograms, all those uh, ultrasounds. And they know that it's different. And they might even have spent their whole lives championing abortion rights, only to realize that they were wrong. And maybe they've been married to the same man for 40 years and they've never told him. That's a big secret to keep from your lifelong partner. And you never know how it's going to be received by a husband, uh, even if it's not his child, even if it's something that occurred before they were married. Um, we have a play that we offer um, for churches to put on for their communities called Viable. And that's the subject of the play, is the woman is in her 50s, in her 60s. Uh, she had an abortion before she married her husband. Been married to this guy for a long time. Now has an adult daughter that's contemplating abortion. Uh, she wants to discourage that. And her secret has to come out. And it's a very, it sounds dreadful, but it's a very uplifting, uh, very uplifting <coughs> play. Um, but to say all of that, to say your, your church is too old, it's not their issue, um, that's just not true. Um, who we are, um, I won't spend a lot of time, but these are really nice people, I gotta tell you. We have eight ministers, uh, three chaplains, two are doctors, one's a psychiatrist, one's a pediatrician, uh, one's an attorney, one's an administrator at a university. Three of our board members have been on the board for 20 years. Um, if you've ever done any board work, it's, it's pretty amazing. Uh, three have served in the mission field. Um, from time to time, we have had EPC members on the board. At one time, we had three at once, uh, but then we had a pastor who jumped denominations to get a job, or take a call, pardon me, take a call. Um, that being said, the others have rotated off, and so if you know anyone who is particularly interested in this, EPC is one of the strongest denominational supporters uh, of PPL. We get a lot of financial support from individual churches in, PP, in EPC. Um, and we would be very interested if you had people who were interested in serving with us. So the big elephant in the room is what if Roe versus Wade is overturned? Um, Dobbs versus Jackson is the name of the case that is before the Supreme Court now that we expect to come down. I think this falls too soon. I, I know they don't want to do it, so maybe next spring. But there's a possibility that that could get Roe versus Wade and send everything back to the states. So what if it's overturned? Well, what if it's not overturned? Um, really, the answer to that is the same. It's a tsunami of pregnant women. Um, we have, we'll have, if it's overturned, we'll have all these women who maybe had an appointment next week, and they're going to wake up and discover that their state is not an abortion-friendly state, and they've got nothing to do, no place to go, and they need those resources. Everything has changed for them. Um, on the other hand, those women exist right now, but they don't come to the church looking for help. They could, they should, but so really, in my opinion, nothing really is going to happen either way. We need to just do what we're going to do. Um, my leaky faucet picture, and for those of you who are, well, you all work for the church in one form or another, and you have a leak in the basement, what happens? You get the property elder, he gets a bucket, he goes downstairs, he puts it under the pipe, and then he goes away, and maybe he forgets about it, 
or he takes it to the session and they fool around with it and then they talk about, you know, I'll put it in the budget for next year, just go down, just remember to go down there and dump the bucket. Um, you know, it goes on forever until somebody needs the Christmas decorations and they go down there and the basement is flooded. And that, in my opinion, hits pretty much the way that the church has responded to the, the crisis of un, unexpected pregnancy and, and people who need help uh, expanding their families, however it occurred. Um, I don't know, if somebody comes to the door of your church, you know, I'm pregnant, I'm single, I have nothing. I have no place to live, I have no place to go. If you can refer to a, a pregnancy care center, that's great. Not every town has them, and they vary in quality as well. Um, really, the church could and should, I think, be outposts, um, places where it's assumed that you can go um, and receive what you need. Um, but the fact that both pro-life and pro-choice groups are so concerned with Roe versus Wade is really bleeding off um, resources. It bleeds off money, it bleeds off energy, it bleeds off time. You get into arguments with people about choices um, and nothing really changes. Nothing, it just keeps leaking. And you have, still have all these women with nowhere to go. So one of the reasons, or there's many reasons actually, that a church doesn't always go forward with pro-life ministry um, is because there are people wounded in your congregation. You may think that you have a pro-life church and it's just not an issue for you, but I think if you took a survey of the people in the pews, because um, I don't know if you've been in this position or not, but every once in a while something will come up and the person that you've sat next to for 30 years will make a comment that you didn't know that she thought that way about that, um, and you see her a little bit differently or your relationship changes a little bit. Um, so the thing is that abortion is a common experience. One in four women, that's really a lot. It's really a lot. You can't hardly be in a room with women up to 60 years old and not have run into somebody uh, that's had an abortion, whether you know it or not. Uh, it's probably not going to change the way you look at them as a person, but um, that knowledge is, is kind of important to have. And of those, 70% are going to say they're Christian. So one in four, you got 70% that are Christian. 43% went to church the month before they had the abortion. They didn't tell the pastor about it. They didn't tell the women's circle about it. They didn't ask their, I don't know, the nursery lady, you know, what, what do you think I should do? Or, or this is scary. What do I, you know, what do I, what, where can I get help? So the estimate is there's, no, they already have children too. Almost 60% already have children, which is something we don't, we think of it as a teenager's problem. But there might be 50 million post-abortive women. And then you have to add the men involved and then you have to add the grandparents, you know, if, if their mothers know that this has happened, uh, or maybe their fathers have positions in the community that they, I remember being interviewed for a church once and a man with three daughters asked me, uh, if one of my daughters comes home pregnant, what are you going to tell her? And I said, well, it kind of depends whether or not you've already thrown her out of the house. I mean, that depends what I'm going to tell her. So, you know, men react differently as well. Siblings. Um, you know, how, how do you feel? How do you tell your kids that they would have a brother but? You know, well, you kind of don't. But if you're going to make uh, any kind of a confession in any kind of a circle, that could get back to your children. And it's, a, it's a thing. And I already told you about women over 60. So some of these things, these are some of the things that keep your church from being actively pro-life. There are other things. The denominations have position papers. 
Um, we helped write, I don't remember if we helped write EPCs, but I know we helped write ECOs um, and PCAs. If you have a position paper, there's this assumption that all the churches in that denomination are pro-life and all the pastors are pro-life and all the people in the pews are pro-life. And that's just simply not true. Um, so there's an expectation of that. Um, the denomination has no pro-life ministry or mission for churches to use as a resource, which puts every pastor in the position of having to be an expert. Um, I served on the board of PPL for five years. I've been their executive director for four years. So for four years and five years before that, but for four years they've been paying me to learn this stuff. And it's taken probably seven years of that time for me to be able to have a conversation uh, on topics from different perspectives, from theological or medical or ethical or philosophical, I suppose, or the secular various arguments. Um, that's a lot to ask of a pastor. That's a lot to ask of an elder. Um, that's why, you know, when the phone call gets flipped to the mission elder, you know, you get this deer in the headlights look like, I'll take it to the committee, and that's the last you hear of them. Um, some denominations also discourage partnerships with parachurch organization, which again leaves every congregation on its own. Uh, the OPC, for example, I have contacted them several times, and their denominational stance is we do not partner with any parachurch organization. So it'd be fabulous if there'd be, you know, a group within the OPC that did that, but right now they're on their own with that. Um, why don't pastors preach? Sometimes, some, some do. I mean, they clearly do. But the ones that don't, again, we don't, I'm not an expert. I've got really no time to learn this, but I don't want to create an emotional crisis that our staff is not equipped to answer. And that's legit. Um, even our viable play, when the cast comes and you have a dinner theater and you put this play on and people have come to see it, um, some people are moved in different ways. Uh, some people are convicted. Some people are um, sad. Uh, just different things. And so, I mean, we usually have counselors in the back of the room that people can go and pray with and talk to um, just to decompress a little bit after something. It really is an uplifting play. But, you know, it just things strike people differently at different times. Um, and so it needs to be handled sensitively, sort of like the, the guy with the gun and the, and the bear. I mean, you don't want to let loose both barrels all at the same time. You have to do it a little bit at a time, small bites over time, and create this pro-life awareness in your congregation. Um, Again, the elders are important. I mean, this is our polity, and our elders are right up there making decisions with us, and some think it's too political. They have the same concerns as the pastor. They worry about agitating the congregation, and then there's the PTSD with the PCUSA. Um, acronyms are going to do us in, aren't they? Uh, <laughs> Sometimes they think mission is enough. Uh, mission is certainly important. Doing things is important. Uh, but we tend to provide resources for uh, crisis pregnancy centers, pregnancy care centers, I think is how they're usually referred to now. Um, baby bottle drives, the diaper drives, those things, those are all good, but they're not equipping people to sit and understand the issues and to be able to speak compassionately and winsomely to somebody who's having an emotional time dealing with whatever it is they're dealing with. And then I already talked about what God says about life at every point on the spectrum is true. This is a personal favorite. Um, 
Our church is already unanimously pro-life. We're not like those progressive fundamentalist apostate people. So <laughs> we know who you are. We know who you are. So we've talked this week about a lot about preaching the whole counsel of God. Um, that is how you get the word out. Pardon me, where did I do it? I don't know where I did it. I'll just have to do this from memory, which is fine. Um, the whole counsel of God. The Bible doesn't say anything about abortion, right? Well, there's several different ways that you can approach this, of course. Um, you have no kill, for starters. That's an easy one. Um, but you can also go through the destiny stories of um, Isaac and Jacob and um, uh, Jeremiah and uh, Paul and Jesus and John the Baptist, uh, all called from the womb, some for national um, national tasks and, and others for um, the, the destiny of, of their own uh, preaching and that sort of thing. Um, so you've got that. You've got the example of God uh, and the attributes of God. That's, I mean, that's the fallback, right? When, when you have to do a funeral after a terrible tragedy and we can't explain it. Well, you kind of can't explain uh, abortion either. The, in scripture, in the kind of nuanced detail that people want to hear it without falling back on the attributes of God as the protector of the innocent, as the lifting, the man who, Jesus, the man who lifts up women, um, the strong defender, the provider, uh, the voice of the voiceless, um, the defender of the weak, the healer of the sick, all those things together, that's the picture of God that does not, uh, who's not the author of evil. He would you know, never, there's nothing about abor abortion that fits with the attributes of God and the character of God. To equip the saints to speak words of life again, uh, I think this battle is engaged in kitchens and at school desks and water fountains and when you're walking with your friends and uh, the relationships between men and women when you have those conversations. The word of God brings people to repentance. It brings healing. It drives people to action. And the ultimate result of this is it expands the kingdom of God. You're not going to be able to hear the gospel unless you're born. And all those people need to have a chance to be born and to hear the gospel and become part of the kingdom, the eternal kingdom of God. So you need to assist the pastor and the congregation to open that conversation. Those are some more things we can talk about. Fertility. Uh, young people are very concerned because they're getting married later and uh, that affects the uh, gestation and the ability to conceive. Uh, reproductive technologies, IVF is a thing, a serious thing these days. Uh, miscarriages happen more frequently than we know because people tend to just not talk about them because it's a sad thing. Um, it's not necessarily a public thing, not like, um, especially the ones that happen very early on. There's a thing called perinatal hospice that not everybody knows about, and that's for when you have a baby that is expected to be either be stillborn or to die just a few hours or days after birth because they have some kind of a birth anomaly that's going to uh, result in that. Um, and they have hospice for that, uh, for the mother and the child. Um, snow, oh, snowflake adoption. That's when you do um, IVF in vitro fertilization and you get more eggs than you are going to gestate and sometimes they're frozen, and you can donate those eggs for adoption. 
And so sometimes you'll have a couple who, for one reason or another, can't conceive on their own, but there's nothing wrong with uh, her ability to give birth. Um, and she can adopt, that family can adopt a frozen embryo. There was a baby born the other day that was 27 years old when it was born. I, that's just <laughs> you can't even wrap your head around that, it's just, but it's very cool. Um, and of course it extends the, the value and the commodification of life uh, for babies, especially through surrogacy uh, for same-sex same couples. Um, this commodification, it res human trafficking, abortion supports human trafficking. Uh, it supports the pornography industry. I mean, it's just connected to everything. Um, and so it has bled over now into assisted suicide for the elderly um, and people who have uh, infirmities uh, that make their lives difficult and for themselves and for others. Um, we can talk about end-of-life issues, advanced directives. Those are kind of sticky wickets. I don't know if anybody's ever prepared their own documents with their lawyers for uh, your own end-of-life, but, you know, I don't like those questions. Those, those are hard questions. Um, your own hospice care. It helps to have your session on board with this because they need to run interference for the pastor. They need to be out there in the congregation. First off, the pastor needs to have confidence that they're going to back him up, that he's going to preach the word of God. It is what it is. It says what it says. He's going to do the best he can with it. Um, but you need to have confidence that you're going to have, you touch somebody's button, you're going to have your session behind you. And that when people start talking about it, whether it's a great sermon or whether you, you, know, you, you step in it while you're preaching, you know, <laughs> I've been there, done that. You can have people out in the congregation listening to the parking lot you know, conversations and interject themselves into it and say, you know, we hired this person, we called this person to lead us, to read the Bible, to tell us what it says, and we gotta let them do it. We gotta let them do it because we learn from that. Um, so that, and just nipping that kind of thing in the bud, I just can't tell you how valuable that is. Okay, ppl.org, it's the easiest website in the world to remember. We have blogs that are updated at least every two, three weeks. We have books that we review. There are videos up there. We can make referrals to other organizations. Life Support is our prayer newsletter. Uh, it comes out electronically. Well, we also mail it once a month, but it'll come out electronically once a week. It'll have three areas of prayer that we encourage people to pray for. Uh, our monthly e-newsletter, the typical e-newsletter will have five or six articles in it, read at your leisure, but it keeps you up to date. And our Facebook page is updated daily or even several times a day. Um, you can call us if you have a question um, and you don't know, we can either tell you where to find it on our website or there's things, I mean, we just can't put everything up there. Um, we have thrown away more stuff that um, we would love to have shared with people, but we just can't catalog it all. So. Between us, between all those 20-year board members and me and the administrative directors that we have, we know, we know stuff. And if we don't know it, we know where we can find it, and we will find it for you. Um, you can put a pro-life article or factoid in your church newsletters. Some church electronic letters I know come out once a week um, and then once a month. You don't have to write those. We have all kinds of links that you can use. Um, you can invite us to come to your church. Um, you may have interested members in your church that just kind of don't know how to get started. Um, we can help them do that. We can provide a speaker for an event. A lot of churches celebrate Sanctity of Human Life Sunday in January. Um, it's usually around like Martin Luther King President's Day. 
it doesn't really matter. Uh, you get it in that month, it's, it's good. Um, we can do workshops, we can do seminars, um, we can preach, uh, we can do minute for mission, whatever it was that works for you. Um, because sometimes it's easier to have somebody come in and say the things and leave, um, and then you can say, well, that was her and we don't quite agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever it is you, you know, do to save yourself after somebody throws a bomb and leaves. Um, these are the Bible ladies. You, you, they, they don't have the same faces in your church, but there's, there's a young one that, you know, you go, oh, boy, you know, all the young women look up to her, and then there's, you know, the good, solid mom. And then there's the older ladies, probably been in the nursery for 30 years. Everybody leaves their babies. She doesn't even want to leave the nursery. Those are amazing people, aren't they? Well, if you can find her... Make her a go-to woman, somebody that you know everybody trusts. Put her on your staff, uh, even if she's a volunteer. Take her picture, put her on your website, put her in your staff directory with the picture. Take her picture, put it on the back side of the ladies' restroom door, and then give her some training and resources. Um, your Christ, your uh, pregnancy care center can help you. PPL can help you. There's other places that we can help her become equipped with your local resources as well. So that when somebody has an issue, um, well, put her in front of the congregation and say, this is her, this is who you're looking for when something happens, and let it be known that she's a resource for unexpected problem pregnancies, marriage, uh, miscarriages, stillbirth, special needs children, adoption, abortion, domestic violence. These are the things that, and I don't mean to offend any male pastor at all, but the church I interned at had a big, burly pastor. Love him to death. He's still a mentor to me. He's got a beard like this. And there I was, a little seminary intern. I didn't know anything, hadn't taken any pastoral care counseling. They parked me in an office, and I bet I had 13 women outside my door that first week because they were not going to tell that man. As sweet as he was, they were not going to tell him that stuff. And so you need that person. If you don't have a pastoral staff, uh, that can help you with that. There's somebody who can do that for you. So, life teams. Um, the people in your church who are pro-life probably know who the others are. Um, if they don't, if you start talking about life issues, they'll start realizing they have permission to bubble up and start talking openly about these things. Um, and they will come together symbiotically. Um, I'll sh tell you in just a second um, how you can get them together. Um, but they, again, a life team can give meaningful support to the pregnancy center. Uh, it's very popular these days to do uh, Amazon baby registries. There is nothing easier than that. You just log on to Amazon, you call First Presbyterian Church and Sally that is having a baby, or First Presbyterian Church and the women's center down the street. Um, and you create a layout of, of items, and then you just share the link with everybody, and people as they're moved go on there, and you pick a day for like a baby shower. People just go on there and they buy the stuff, they have it delivered to the church, and the church delivers it wherever it is it's going. Um, those are total strangers will donate to that. Um, as long as they've got the link, uh, there are people who just want to do that. Um, education. Uh, offer Bible classes um, on family and marriage and parenting and sexuality and things like that. Have a minute for mission. Have a little bit of testimony going on. You know how to do all this. Um, special worship services and concerts and luncheons. One church did a um, 
a, a Sanctity of Human Life Sunday lunch, and they invited some, I don't remember if they were locally famous or nationally famous, uh, person to come and talk. And you know they did the fancy lunch like we do, but they had the youth group serve. So the youth group was getting fed all that stuff while they were waiting tables as well. And of course, you know, 14-year-olds are really interested in sex, and so they were happy to do that. Um, there are two organizations that we work with from time to time. Uh, one is Churches for Life, and they publish a curriculum called Life Team Basics. You can get hard copies of that, or you can go online. The whole thing is online, and I think it's free. Um, but anyway, just Google it. It's Churches for Life. I think getintolife.org, and I have the handouts for this slideshow or on that table over there you can take with you. Um, and anyway, Churches for Life, they're based in St. Louis, I believe, so they're kind of right down the road from y'all, or from this church. Um, but they have this, and it talks about, I mean, it's basic. It's how to run a meeting. It's how to get everybody at the meeting. It's what to do at the first meeting, the second meeting, the third meeting, you know, to just kind of rev things up and move them along. CareNet is a much larger organization. They also have pregnancy care centers. Um, but they're more of an apologetics ministry. So, like, if you don't know how to respond to a particular objection uh, to pro-life, a pro-life issue, uh, CareNet is a good place to go to find the answers to that. Um, this is an example of a project that is a nationwide thing. Um, people bike. They bike for fun. Uh, I'm not that person, but I know they exist. Biking is kind of the, what, the golf, golf tournament? fundraiser, I think, of the, of the 21st century. With this Biking for Babies, again, it's bikingforbabies.org, I think. You can sign, it's a national ride, so you can sign up and ride in your local community. Um, you can volunteer for it if you want to be the person that hands out water, um, that kind of stuff. Um, it, it's sort of a rah-rah thing. It makes you visible in the community. It's not that this kind of project is like going to move the congregation but it's going to make you visible in a way that if somebody gets pregnant, they know that First Presbyterian Church does this biking for babies thing, and maybe they do other stuff too. But it's it's a viable is the play I told you about. Viable has a, it's written by a Ph.D. Presbyterian John Robert John Hoover from First Presbyterian Greenville. I think it's a PCUSA church, um, Greenville, South Carolina, and. Um, he has been, this play has been the opening event at National Right to Life Convention in Washington, D.C. for the last two years, and they're there again this week, I think. Um, whoops. The Sacramento Memorial Garden. Um, you know, a lot of churches do community gardens. Well, this church did a memorial garden. They had some land um, that was available to them, and they got some other churches together, and there is a ministry. I'm trying to remember what the other ministry is called. One second. National Memorial for the Unborn. And they have a wall of remembrance where you can engrave the name of your child. Uh, they hold memorial services there uh, for miscarried babies or memory services for people that have had abortions. Um, they can connect people with resources for counseling, grief counseling, that kind of thing. Local ministers come in and do the memorial services on sort of an ongoing, regular basis. Um, it's a small thing, but it's a very important thing. Um, and it's relatively inexpensive. The Light and Life Ministry, this is that church in Greenville where the author of that play goes. Um, they call it Light and Life Ministry. That's their life team. They start, whoops, 
that's not them. They started a pregnancy center across the street from the biggest Planned Parenthood in Greenville. Um, they're really, uh, and, and they have a, a special relationship with Nightlight Christian Adoptions, which is the embryo adoption organization, the premier, I suppose, embryo adoption agency. Um, Scott Klusendorf is a young Christian apologist that is real visible on social media. They had him come in and give uh, a series of three or four lectures, I think, during uh, National Right to Life Sunday uh, week that week. Um, they hosted our annual board meeting. Um, Presbyterians Protecting Life, as I said, I live in Dallas. My secretary lives in Pennsylvania. We do everything over Zoom. We, the whole board is scattered across the country as well. And so we meet monthly via Zoom, but once a year we get together face to face because we just, we love each other and we never get to see each other. Um, and we're usually, we spend our own money for our plane tickets, and so we look for a church to host us. Uh, we usually get a room with AV stuff in it so that we can have our board meeting. Uh, we're there for three days. We ask for dinner, let's see, one dinner the first night, breakfast, lunch, and dinner the second day, and just breakfast the third day. And um, usually while we're there, we try to sing for our supper and do a workshop or a Sunday school or something for you. Um, and in the past, we've been put up in, in parishioners' homes, members' homes. Uh, that depends on your church. <laughs> some people don't mind having, we consider ourselves a traveling mission group for that weekend. And some people don't mind hosting missionaries, and some people say, not in my bathroom. So anyway, that's what we shoot for because we spent all our money getting there. Uh, it's a lot to ask of a board member to do that. So if your church would like to host us, we would love to see you. We're going to Buffalo, New York this year. How many 12. Big 12. Um, this, is my, this is my pet. I think this is the greatest thing ever. Uh, it's called Any Woman Can. And what it is is a free women's, free and low cost clinic for homeless and poor women. Uh, a church hosted San, down first San Antonio uh, is an eco-church. Bob Fuller is the pastor there. They were PCUSA, I think. Well, I'm sure it wasn't everyone. Um, but anyway, they're eco now. We went there for our board meeting. It's a big downtown church, kind of like this. Um, an older congregation, been there forever, decided not to move out of downtown. Um, and a little bit blue nose, as Presbyterians can sometimes be in big old churches. And um, anyway, they had not done anything. They did not consider themselves a pro-life church. But one of our board members knew Bob, and Bob said, yeah, you can come stay with us this weekend and have your board meeting. And so we did. We didn't do anything there. Um, we didn't get fit into their schedule. We had a room. They fed us. I think we even stayed in a hotel instead because they didn't want to put us up. But they did put a sign up someplace that said, you know, we're hosting PPL this week. So I went back to check with him like a year later just to see what was going on. And he goes, yeah, your being here gave permission for the pro-life people to speak up because nobody was saying anything because nobody knew who was pro-life and who wasn't. But once you were here, there was this assumption that, well, somebody's pro-life. And so, you know, they started a little bit of chatter and they found each other and they wondered what they could do. And they said, you know, we have this empty basement. And so somebody said, I got a cousin that's a contractor. I bet he'd come in and fix that. And anyway, they re the, everything was free. They did this collaborative thing with local contractors, furniture stores, um, different fundraising groups, other churches. They rehabbed their basement. 
which was the, the leaky pipe basement. <laughs> they, they, they remodeled the basement. The first picture, I think, is the interview room where they have private conversations with the women. There's an examination table where they can come and be examined, and they wrote a grant and got an ultrasound machine. And the other, I think that's their waiting area, and then the top picture is their ribbon cutting. But they did this whole collaborative thing with all these different organizations and stuff, and really the church was just the catalyst and provided the space. And I think now they not only provide the space, but of course they're paying the utilities because it's part of their property, and they pay the phone bill. And um, the rest of the money, you know, is like a typical maybe daycare center that you might run in your church. They write grants and they have, you know, fundraisers and things like that. But the only reason that church has that is just because the people got permission to open their mouths and start talking about it. And uh, anyway, it's an awesome thing. It's, it, it seems like a big project, but it's the collaboration that makes it smaller. Ah, thank you for listening. Um, most of our... Um, support now comes from the EPC and the ECO and then the rest of it comes from individual not denominationally but individual churches um, and the rest comes from individuals really we we take donations through network for good and um, my, my challenge to make you feel really guilty is whatever you're spending on Starbucks or Netflix if you would match that then we would be fine. <laughs> so anyway, I mean, that, that always kind of pushes my button too. Um, and being Presbyterians protecting life, uh, truly the only people that support us are Presbyterians. And so you can imagine how narrow that is. Um, we don't write grants. We were uh, blessed to get one of the PPE grants during COVID to stay open. We have, we have two employees. We have me and we have my secretary and everybody else is a volunteer. We used to have eight people on staff, um, but that was you know, back in the day when everybody was concentrated in one spot. And so now, without a stamp of approval from a denominational office among connectional churches, the way the PCUSA was set up, every call we make is a cold call. Every contact we make is, um, you know, look it up online and you know, there's the church, I wonder if that's still a working number. <laughs> So anyway, um, any way that we can help you, we would uh, be more than happy to. Uh, one question I have for you now that I have given my big speech here. Um, what are, are your congregations doing or what do you know of that is, uh, is working for people? Yeah? So in terms of formal programs, we, we just have a relationship with a local women's crisis pregnancy center. Mm -hmm. And so we do, you know, the diaper drives and the formula and that kind of thing. Those are good. But one of the things that we've done that we found to be really helpful is there was a new senior pastor that came and he was in the process of adopting a child. Yeah. And decided, That's pricey. So, yeah, it was. Um, and decided to, have, um, enough people were asking about it that he just decided to, to hey, we're going to have like a session where I basically field questions and tell you guys what we're doing and why we're doing it. And he just sort of argued from scripture the justification for adoption and fostering. Mm -hmm. And fast forward six years, and we have tons of kids that don't look like their parents running around the church, you know? And just having, you know, you, you make the point, like it gives people permission to come out of the woodwork. Yeah. And it's like, 
we so we've been able to foster a little bit of a culture of that. Has it really been focused on That's exactly the thing, yeah. Yeah, it hasn't really been focused on abortion as much as it's been right, let's let's adopt, let's foster. It, but it gave people that sort of freedom and really all it took was just one class. Like, mm -hmm. hey, I'm gonna talk about it from the senior yeah. pastor. And so I, I certainly appreciate that that um, that idea of just broaching the topic and getting it out there is really helpful. Yeah. And, and sort of keeping it, you know, fermenting and, and percolating. And it not only gives people permission, it makes them brave, you know, to stand up and, and say things or do things or, you know, confess. That, that's one thing about the confidential uh, recovery groups is people need forgiveness and they need the mercy of God. And if they can't confess because it's such a sensitive thing, if they need a confidential place to go, I mean, we still do confession, but we're not Catholic, right? We don't have the little booth you can go to. You need to have maybe a couple times a year a place off campus where you can get the uh, counselor from the pregnancy care center or someplace to come in and sort of make it known that this is the day and this is the place and you don't need a reservation and you just show up and it's like, you know, AA. You know, we're not telling anybody you're here. And we have a Bible study and there's one for men and there's one for women as well to go through that. But I mean, if you can't, conf if, if you repent, you need to confess and if you, if you confess, you need to receive and, and you can't do that unless it's all out there and, and we need to give away for people to do that. So yeah. Well, I think that giving that permission also works on the other side because um, several years ago, my wife and I went through a miscarriage and um, maybe it's just my personality, but I, I was pretty public about it. I was mm -hmm. willing to share. And the number of guys and gals that came to see me in the subsequent month to tell me their story was, blew me away. I had no Those idea. little 12 week baby models that I have on that table there, more men come by than anybody. Yeah. Well, that was the thing. I, I, when I started looking for resources, it's all aimed at women. I didn't see anything for guys. I got three I, newsletters over there. <laughs> so, but I mean, I, I just appreciate that sentiment of broaching the conversation and giving people permission. And that is one thing that we are really focused on. Uh, now, like two years ago is when we started thinking in the terms of the 60-year-old women. But in the last two years, we started focusing more on men. And I was at the last, it was the PCA convention, or PCA General Assembly. There was some young man, and I think they were selling insurance in the booth next to me, and we just got into a conversation. And his story is on our website, but what he, Dustin was his name, and he said he was in the eighth grade, he and his girlfriend, she got pregnant, and their parents forced them to have an abortion. And he said, you know, we were already kind of, you know, those kids, they were pregnant in the eighth grade, right? And so that just pushed him a little more down that road, and he became drug addicted. Uh, they both dropped out of school, out <coughs> of school. Time goes on, he becomes homeless, she becomes a prostitute for money, um, she dies or gets killed somehow. He, after time, gets picked up by a Christian mission someplace and, and brought in and brought to Jesus and, and he's cleaned up now, married, he's got a child of his own. Uh, but it's his opinion that a lot of what plagues men today in our culture is abortion. Uh, he says, you know, men have a need to have a legacy the same way women have a biological clock. And to have a woman say, if, if somebody aborts against your will, um, is have a woman say, I, I not only don't want a child, I don't want your child. You know, that's a big deal. 
And if you are a man who has coerced a woman into having an abortion so that she can, you know, escape that, um, and then you get convicted in later years, I mean, you've got guilty men, you've got angry men, you don't have a uterus and you can't talk. And so how do you process all those emotions? Well, let's pornography, the explosion in pornography. It's a lot easier to have, you know, to do that than have a relationship with a real woman because you never know how she's going to be. Um, abuse, domestic abuse of women. You know, take that anger out on the next woman in your life or a series of women in your lives. Um, children are objects. Um, they can be uh, abused as well. Uh, sex trafficking, uh, gambling, um, just, you know, alcoholism, those, those kinds of coping things that you expect from people who are emotionally suffering anyway, um, but that is just under the surface for men because they haven't been able to voice uh, this grief and anger. Then the other thing you've got is young men who maybe have not participated in that sort of thing, but they're watching their brothers and fathers and uncles and everybody else do it, you know, and kind of being raised up in this culture of it's okay. So he draws a bright line between abortion and almost everything that plagues uh, plagues men. And I'm sorry, I didn't answer you. Yet. That's what I was very interested in following up on what you said about um, adoption and, and foster care. If God grants us our prayer to stop um, abortion in America to a greater degree, mm -hmm. we are going to have a lot of children available for adoption. We are. There's going to be a lot of kids in foster care. And I think there's a lot of behavior that needs to be changed before they even that changes. So yeah. It's going to be overwhelming. And just because you're going to end up with some type of a problem here doesn't mean that you shouldn't stop the terrible problem that's going on here. Mm -hmm. But we have to think another step or two ahead. God will bring this to pass. I do believe that. To stop abortion. But... We have to prepare our hearts and start teaching our people in our congregations that they are, there is a responsibility to adopt. There is a responsibility to, to be foster children, to foster children, and to even uh, bring their awareness um, to that as a church. I think that's incredibly uh, godly and a step in the right direction of, of um, doing good for the city. What was um, the recent dust up? There was some stuff from the EPC, I think, that I was kind of preparing for before I came, and then the Supreme Court solved my problem. But it's Bethany, Bethany Christians. Yes, Bethany. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I was one of the things I was thinking about is that Bethany wouldn't have that problem if Christians had been beating down the doors to adopt their kids, place their kids. I think Bethany Christian was the one that did not go to court. They decided to change their policy. Yeah, they just caved, yeah. Yeah, and then there was another one that just went to the Supreme Court and won the Catholic. Yes. Right after that, yeah. right after that, because they were closing Catholic charities right now. Yeah. Yeah. It was a Philadelphia um, Catholic Charities. Well, yeah. and one, of the thing, one of the side benefits of focusing on fostering and adopting is it preempts the charge that this is all just political, right? Oh, you guys are just playing politics. You don't care anything about born babies. Right. Well, I mean, the charge is... Oh, you, yeah, you're, I get you're that just, a lot. Right. You, you guys are just saying this because you're playing politics. And, um, I mean, we had a guy, you know, charge us for that. And I just chuckled. I'm like, you visit us one Sunday and you'll find out political. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, there's literally dozens. Like, we've got about a, a dozen or so more kids 
who are either fostered or adopted in our church. And we're a church of about 300. It's not like we're a big church, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and so that, and it does, it does show people that you put your money where your mouth is, right? You're, you get skin in the game right. here. That's and I think great. it makes the kids feel less singled out if there's a whole group oh, yeah. of people, you know, oh, yeah. we're, all, we're all in this together, truly. Yeah, oh, yeah. You know, we just don't have. Adoption and fostering is protecting life. Mm -hmm. that, that is part of the lifespan um, that that you address. Which I, when I first saw that, I thought it was just, um, you know, anti-abortion stuff. That's why we changed really it to protect because it's more active. Yeah, and more it's involved. really great to hear about all the things that you do. Yeah, the other stuff is passive. Um, we should, huh, Canada. I don't know how much you follow about Canada, but they are really going off the deep end. I mean, they are seriously into euthanasia and um, assisted suicide. And I think, I think of children, because I know that children can be euthanized in the Netherlands, which pioneered all of this at 12, by their own request. By their own request. There are no- A child can request in the Netherlands? In the Netherlands. And, um, there are lots of regulations on it, but it's still disgusting. Yeah, well, and there's doctors that go around the reg. I mean, they exist. Everybody knows. When I, I used to be a justice of the peace in Texas, and we did search warrants and arrest warrants and stuff. And when they were teaching us about um, probable cause, um, some sheriff in the back of the room stood up and said, "Everybody in every county knows what judge you can take the questionable warrant to." And that's the way it is with doctors and euthanasia and assisted suicide. You know, there's always a judge that's not going to read it and always a doctor that's going to sign it. <laughs> I don't know if you've had any experience with this, but I've seen a, a growth in churches that are actually going to the Planned Parenthoods and that, that you know. The, and the, praying for them. And they're. To know, succeed. Right, so they're there and they're praying and they're, oh. you know, preaching and talking to folks. Have you seen that done well? Oh, you mean. No, actually, I just, I, I don't have anything for that, but no, I have not. I. I mean, the Illinois right to life is right next door to So there are people who go. There. I mean, they'll pray in the neighborhood. Yes, and, and, and there the are some who preach. I, you know, it takes all kinds to reach different ones. That, mm -hmm. some, some of that's a little harsher. Yeah, that's why I was asking is if there's a model that's done well, because the only church that I've seen in any kind of detail they bring, you know, they've got a table they set up and a couple of ladies mm -hmm. that are there that are counselors. Sorry. And then the, the pastor that kind of led it is is basically there to say, hey, we're gonna, we're, we'll pay for whatever needs to be paid for. Right. So they, they've got a system set up. And I just, I didn't know if you'd seen any of that. Done. No, I have not. And I think that what you're seeing in the media when they'll say, you know, like 12 ministers have come together to play for, pray for Planned Parenthood. Um, those are the progressive and very liberal pro-abortion pastors that are going in, into the center, actually in, and you know, praying for the success of, of everything that happens in there, which is bizarre. I like them to, to watch an abortion and see the baby that's mm -hmm. been aborted and see how they feel about that, and then pray for that. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, you know, a lot of the the nuts and bolts. Of, of how abortions are accomplished um, are gruesome and people don't want to learn about it and so they take the talking points that they hear that make sense to them emotionally and just promote that 
Um, but you know, if you can ever actually get anybody in a place where you can have conversation about, do you, you know, this is this is the deal. Is there anything not repulsive about this to you? Um, yeah, um, I think it was Scott Klusendorf has a series of like 10 questions that pro-abortion people cannot answer. And one of them is, um, oh gosh, what was the guy's name? Who was the abortionist on the Illinois-Indiana border? And after he died, his wife found a thousand uh, aborted fetuses in jars oh, in his garage. Klopfer. No, Klopfer. K-L-O-P-F-E-R, Klopfer. Because he did it across state lines too and he died and they were you know, unlocking the garage and that's where they found all the, and, and so yeah if it's if it's just a thing if it's just a medical procedure why are you keeping a thousand trophies um, there are women who will have who will intentionally get pregnant so they can abort at four months so that they can obtain fetal cells um, to treat their father's Parkinson you know or something like that um, or who will have a full-term baby so that they can have a kidney transplant for their other child and, and things like that. Um, you know, it's just hard to wrap your mind around such things. It's the commodification of life. Can you tell us more about live teens? Where you're, as I understand it, you go and train people mm -hmm. in the church to be able to minister. Well, it is, it is contextual. So, like, if you have a lot of special needs people in your church, or if you have um, uh, an urge to, you know, do a foster program, uh, things like that, that's a, that's a good jumping off point. But usually we would uh, recommend that people who, and, and some churches can do this on their own just because, you know, they have somebody who's got some get up and go who's going to say, you know, okay, we're all going to get together at 9 o'clock in the morning and we're going to go on and we're going to go through this curriculum together. Uh, and get our certificates and so now we know what we're doing and next week we're going to meet and we're going to do thus and such and so we can we can give you suggestions there's not a there's not a set formula because like I said all churches are different um, but it's just a matter of keeping and, and we can we can make a list I mean a, a sample of going forward what we would recommend for you know read this book as a Bible study or um, have a women's lunch and um, you know have this person in his feet or do your your baby drive because um, really as long as you know they've got there's a bulletin board in the hall and something in the newsletter and you get to preach about it once in a while um, getting that culture going you know like he was talking about that permission giving culture and just keep churning it um, but it would be you know, we're Presbyterians, and we call them life teams. It's a committee. <laughs> you know, it's a committee or it's a women's group. Um, you can talk to your crisis, call them crisis pregnancy. It's just, you're so many years old. It's a pregnancy care center. A lot of them are starting to do the men's groups now as well. Um, but the, the layouts and things, the hardest thing, and again, this is, would be from a fostering position is walking alongside somebody who is pregnant and having nine months of interaction with their ten months or interaction with that person. Um, parenting classes, you know, it'll depend too upon the kind of people, the kind of resources you have within your congregation. You know, you might have 
a behavioral therapist, you might have a counselor or somebody that's already involved in adoption and things. But, um, but yeah, we can talk about how, how, what that looks like. And, and you can do it on your own through the CareNet and the... Doesn't CareNet have a, a discipling or training program? I, that I haven't looked at it in a while, but I think they do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they do. But do you have, does PPL have a team that will come to your church and present? Mostly it's me, but uh, if, if you wanted to do something specific like that, I'm sure that I can wrestle up a board member or somebody to come with me and so because, you know, it gets tiresome to listen to one person all the time. Mm-hmm. come for a weekend and, uh, you know, we would talk to you before we got there about what you were looking for um, and if you wanted to organize. You know, we could create this series of luncheons or Sunday schools or something like that, or youth group meeting, whatever, um, and just you know do the, do that kind of a package for you with you. you know, it would fit your contacts. Thank Because I mean, you know, I, we could deliver a product to you, but did y'all ever? What was that Wednesday night program? Logos? Did you do the Logos dinner programs in your churches? You know. And they had this real structured thing that you had to eat on um, real china plates, and you had to set the table, and you had family groups, and you had the head of the table, and you had these mixed family groups from all through the church, and you had a set menu, and you had your cooking team, and your dishwashing team, and all this stuff set up. And it was a great program, but after you did it for like two years, you just kind of started doing it your own way, <laughs> you know, because nobody had the energy to do all the stuff that, that they wanted done. So, I mean, yeah, we could deliver you a package like that, but you're going to take it apart anyway. We may as well just build it the way you want it. So, that, that would be so, Anyway, it's 10 after. Um, I don't want to keep you over long. Yes. For me, um, please take some newsletters or something or those information cards, anything you like. For my, I mean, I can, I can pretty much take a part of a pro-abortion person's arguments about it's the woman's body, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I, what I need is some kind of a program or I don't even know what the right word is because I am tired of being told we only care about the unborn, we don't care about the elderly, we don't care about children that need to be fostered, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and we do care. I mean, it's not... Our church doesn't just support the pro, you know, the pre-born state. We, you know, it's sure we help with food for elementary schools. We do, you know, but that's that's the kind of a presentation I would like to make or be able to um, take to our community as far as how we can protect life as Christians. We can life from start to end. Mm-hmm. That's um, what she thought you were going to talk about today. Oh, I may have not have gotten far enough into it. There's an awful lot. Yeah. There is you, a lot. Because you said at all lot. stages, I took that to mean, I take that to mean from what you said that, that there are people who are 60 who have had abortions and people who are 40 and husbands who right. are 40, rather right. than protecting life. But, you know, what are the statistics or, now in euthanasia? Where is it allowed? Where is it not allowed? And, um, um, you might want to, well, I, I would recommend that you go to the PPL.org website okay. and there will be a, 
uh, resources tab with the drop down menu and it has all those categories okay. that has a lot of stuff in it. Okay. It may not have those exact statistics. If you don't, we can get them for you. Also, our Facebook page, I uh, try to put up articles like that as they, okay. come, as they come along. Okay. Um, but yeah, and then of course you have the reporting problem that not everybody reports. Even abortion is underreported because oh, yeah, California sure and New York doesn't report at all. The two biggest states, and Maryland. I mean, I mean three, three big densely populated states don't even count. Yeah, so. <laughs> not, I, I try to get stats that are like, you know, you want to be as precise as you can, public, yeah. But like you said, there are several straight states that don't really even. So no, I I imagine the numbers are probably just pretty horrific and they don't want to. Yeah. Um, yeah, I really don't know why, or maybe it's just a I think one thing too you have to remember, or we all do, is that we're always gonna be misunderstood. Yeah. We yeah. Be supporting all all stages right. and that they just wanna they're they've got it's just their, become the new in my experience, that's become the new backlash to anyone that's pro-life, is that you're, you're just pro-life for the unborn, you know? And it's well, everything that your church does is pro-life for everybody that's already born. I mean, there was a journalist, I want to say she was in Australia, I can find it once in a while, um, I should just take it with me on these things. But anyway, she posed a question on Twitter about, you know, what have you done lately? And like 10,000 people replied to her about, you know, well, I adopted three kids, how about you? Or, yeah. you know, right. and just yeah. down the list. And, and she finally, you know, went back on and said, oh, well, that's really good to know this, you know, yeah. that you're doing all this stuff. was saying that what I'd like to see people, Christians doing more for, you know, the, those that are born, you know, that's like Christian organizations are doing all kinds of things they're for, the yes. for them. I mean, what are you not, like, yeah, I mean, you know, nobody else is, yeah. Our society is incredibly ignorant about what the church has done throughout history and presently. Mm -hmm. They're just, they just don't get it. Why do you think it's called Catholic Charities? You know, why do you think that hospital is named Methodist Hospital? What is going on? Why do you think we have scientific discovery? <laughs> it's chasing after God. <laughs> They used to call theology the queen of the sciences. I did see him just for everybody's use. I did see an uh, editorial in the Wall Street Journal a couple months ago about how Christians as a whole, or pro-life people as a whole, rather than, because the science is a big deal right now, you know, follow the science, that instead of saying, that it's, a, it's near and dear to my heart because God doesn't is against it or because it's in the Bible or whatever, is to go to the science and say, because that clump of cells that you're referring to is a human being. Mm -hmm. And that just because it's not the government people say that. Have you seen that this last week? That they asked uh, Nancy Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi right. uh, Kamala Harris, uh, California Friedman, Diane Friedman, yeah, and and They asked somebody at a press conference asked each one of them, you know, as a 15 year old fetus a human being, and they would not answer the question. Right. Well, they can't. 
they don't care. articles had to suggest that just because they're not born yet is just a different stage of life. Mm -hmm. Like toddlerhood, teenage. Absolutely. You know, it's, um, there is a concept called SLED, S-L-E-D. Again, it's a Scott Kuisenberg thing. I don't know if I can remember at all, but size is the S. So, you know, whether you're an embryo or whether you're a baby or whether you're our size, um, that shouldn't matter because it's all the same. And then location, location, something, and environment. Is it environment? I think so, but I can't remember what it is. Yeah, it's terrible because it's supposed to be an easy acronym, and, and there's one letter in there that doesn't quite match up, and I'm get it's confused. Dependence, I think, because dependence, and he'll say something like, well, then you shouldn't be hooked up to an air tank when you go scuba diving, and you shouldn't be an astronaut with a tether on you. Um, and, you know, because they talk about, you know, the baby's being a parasite on the mother, you know, dependent on her for... Size, level of, de level level of development, of, yeah. environment, and degree of dependency. Yeah. And another thing that is helpful as well is keeping categories in your mind. The person you're talking to, is this person coming from a place of theology, biblical, worldview? Or is this person, you know, the Christian who's pro-life, uh, pro-choice? Or is this person uh, coming from a point of uh, medical science um, or ethics, just ordinary ethics, so that you can talk about utilitarian commodification of life, those kinds of things, um, just because you can't do something, does that disqualify you from life? Um, and then uh, philosophy. And, and the thing that will save you in philosophy is remembering it's just some guy's opinion. It's just some guy's opinion. Plato is just some guy who thought about shadows. I mean, <laughs> really, I mean, they say good stuff, but you, you can't like hang your head on it as ultimate truth. And um, so philosophy is, in my opinion, probably the easiest thing to refute. But you can't refute it with biblical stuff, and you can't refute it with medical stuff because that's where this guy is coming from. And you can't convince a doctor that the Bible says, my own gynecologist, I can't convince my own gynecologist that the Bible says he shouldn't be doing maybe what he does sometimes. So, um, you know, those, those it's, because if you start mixing categories, then you start confusing yourself before you confuse somebody else. Um, Scott, Peter Singer is, uh, he's only got a master's degree, so I know I'm as smart as he is. He, <laughs> he um, a, was a professor at Princeton, and now he's at the University of Colorado. He's a philosopher. His deal is sentience, uh, self-understanding, self-awareness. And so it's his opinion as a philosopher that a pig is as sentient, more sentient than a toddler. And so the age of four, the pig's got more going on self-awareness than the toddler does. And so it's his opinion that abortion should be legal right up through the age of four. Um, or if you have a baby and you know it has some birth anomaly that you don't discover until they're three. You know, like autism is not often discovered right away. Um, and so that's okay. You know, you can take care of the sin. So I mean, they pay him to do this, the big bucks, and you know he has credentials and he has standing in the community. And you know, doctor, he's not a doc, he's not a doctor. Don't let him call you that. He's like, uh, he's uh, Bill Nye, the science guy. You know, he's not a scientist either. <laughs> so uh, anyway, it's always kind of fun to check the credentials of whoever it is that's <coughs> caterwauling at you, trying to make you believe anything. 
then he's a philosopher, so I don't need a problem. I can debate him. That would be a problem. But anyway, so those are kind of two little, that sled thing is handy because you can draw on it many examples out of it. Um, and then, like I said, keeping your conversation clear to, clear to yourself more than anything. And not a, it's like evangelism, you know? You, you throw it at them, and if they take it, that's great. And if they don't, that's not your fault. Thank you for coming. Y'all were good. Thank you very much. There's 500 people here. Bring more. <laughs> Do you have another presentation? No. Um, and there's stuff on the, the three newsletters on the bottom right are about men. On the left are about abortion. On the top right, it's about el the elderly and euthanasia. We'd be happy to include you on our email list, send you our newsletters, and keep you up to date on that. Oh, I got bumper stickers. I got baby models that you can show people. That's the other thing. It's the clump of cells. You know? How uh, far of development is that about? 12 weeks. 12 weeks. And the little baby feet that you pin on, those are 10 weeks. Before most, well, right about when people just yeah. find out they're pregnant. Yeah. Maybe if they're paying attention. I mean, you know, every once in a while you read the paper about a woman who gave birth, but she was just full. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't figured that one out yet. I haven't figured that one out. <laughs> oh, but thank you for coming. I appreciate it.